as people age, they feel like they're gaining weight from just breathing air. Their metabolism slows down and there's not much they can do about it oftentimes. And we thought, is there something we can do to turn things around, to speed up the metabolism? Hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And you heard it right there at the top. The question is, what can be done to speed up metabolism as we grow older? Well, a new study on this is making worldwide headlines, talking about vegan diets and metabolism and weight loss. And the author of this study is here. The lead researcher, as a matter of fact, she is here to discuss these groundbreaking results. And I'll tell you, this study was such a big deal here at the Physicians Committee that the morning that it came out, The entire staff received an email from Dr. Neil Barnard, and it was his assessment that really sums everything up. He wrote, and I quote, that the diet really is great for weight loss, and now we know why. And he took it a step further and he said, we can also see why it is so effective for tackling diabetes. And we're going to get into all of that today when I speak with Dr. Hanna Kaliova. She is here to discuss her major study that was just published in JAMA. And it is the deepest dive yet on plant-based diets and weight loss. Now, some phrases that you will hear during the show. The thermic effect of food and after-meal calorie burn. They are why plant-based diets really give you a leg up on weight loss. And these findings are so enormous as we try to tackle this global obesity epidemic. Super promising. I mean, think about this, right here in the U.S., not on a global scale, but on a national scale here in the U.S., more than 42% of adults are obese and millions of others are overweight. So Dr. Kaliova's study truly has major implications for riding that ship and steering us toward a healthier future. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. I am very excited to be continuing our discussion about a recent groundbreaking study on plant-based diets, weight loss, and metabolism. The effects of it and the lead researcher of that study is joining us today. She is Dr. Hanna Kaliova. Thanks for taking the time, Dr. Kaliova. Thanks so much for having me, Chuck. 
We we talked about this on the exam room live recently, but there was just so much to the study that we couldn't possibly get into in the 10 or so minutes that we had on that show. So I was like, we have to bring you on here to do a deep dive on this because there is just so much fascinating and important data there. So um, let's kind of pick up with where we left off. Matter of fact, let's get a broad overview of this. What exactly did you guys find with this study? Uh, yeah, maybe to give you a background first, why we did the study. Uh, you know, as people age, they feel like they're gaining weight from just breathing air. I mean, their metabolism slows down and uh, they there's not much they can do about it oftentimes. And we thought, is there something we can do to turn things around, to speed up the metabolism? That was our first question. The second question was, as people are getting overweight, as they're aging, um, they're not only uh, storing fat in their adipose tissue, uh, but the adipose tissue has only a certain capacity to store fat. And once we exceed this, then the fat starts overflowing to the inner organs, like the liver and the muscle. And we were asking, is it possible to mobilize this fat that's stored in the, in the liver and in the muscle? And uh, by this means also increase the insulin sensitivity and decrease the risk of developing uh, type 2 diabetes. That was our uh, second question uh, in the study. And uh, uh, to answer that question, we brought in 244 people who were overweight. They were in their 50s and 60s. Uh, the average age was 54 years. And uh, we randomized them into two groups. One group um, was on a low-fat vegan diet for 16 weeks. So they were consuming um, whole grains and legumes and fruits and vegetables. And keeping their oil intake super low, uh, the fat intake was limited to 20 to 30 grams per day. So it was a low-fat vegan diet. And the second group was asked just to stay on their usual diet as a, you know, as a control group for, to control for seasonal fluctuations. Uh, and we were really looking into what's happening in the body as people are going on the low-fat vegan diet. And what we found out was pretty fascinating. Uh, people on the vegan diet lost 6.4 kilograms, um, that's almost 15 pounds on average. And their insulin sensitivity went up, that means their risk for diabetes was reduced significantly. Um, and uh, we were able to speed up their metabolism. Uh, we were measuring their metabolism using and the indirect calorimetry, which is a machine that looks like a spaceship. Uh, you just lay, lay down, we place a clear hood over your head, and you breathe normally. And uh, by the amount of carbon dioxide uh, that, you, that you breathe out, we're able to calculate how many calories you're burning. Uh, and we were doing these exams not only in the fasting state, but also uh, after a standard meal. And the after-calorie burn uh, went up by almost 19% in, in the vegan group. Uh, 
and the difference between the groups was 14%. And this is happening after each meal. After each meal, you, you're releasing some, some energy in the form of heat. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful to get rid of all the extra energy that you're eating in the form of heat? and just you know burn it I'd, I'd be all for it and, and that's that's what you call the thermic effect of food correct that's correct yeah and that went up by almost 19 percent in the vegan group the difference between the groups was 14 percent and it, it may seem like well that's not a big deal it's only you know 14 to 19 percent uh it's it, it hasn't doubled or tripled so it may seem like a small change um, but when you consider this is happening after each meal uh you know what difference can it make in a few years and in a few decades of your life mm -hmm. you know? so this is just amazing what what can happen well, the, the layperson in me here is thinking, okay, well, if it's a 14% difference on a plant-based diet, does that mean, you know, for every 100 calories burned, the person who's eating the plant-based diet would be burning 14 additional calories compared to the person who was eating the standard American diet? Yeah, that's correct. All right. So then let's, let's crunch some numbers on that as a matter of fact. So let's just say then three meals a day. We're, we're excluding snacks. So that's going to be 42 calories per day. Over the course of the week, that's 280 some odd, maybe 290 some odd calories. Uh, over the course of the year, you're talking about what, probably five, six, seven days worth of calories, maybe a full week's worth of calories right. just by eating a plant-based diet. And and so, yeah, 14% just on paper doesn't seem like a lot. But then when you think about it and you add it all up, that's actually huge. That's your Christmas holidays right there. <laughs> <laughs> Can you avoid weight gain over Christmas? Sure. Go fun base. Yeah, right, right. Oh, if only it were that easy. Um, my goodness gracious. Okay, so this is exciting. So 14%. Um, continue on from where you were. Um, so the the after meal calorie burn went up. And now Another exciting part is what's happening inside the cells. Uh, you know, the, the adipose tissue has a certain capacity to store fat. Uh, when it starts overflowing, it, it's being stored in the liver and in the muscle cells, in your heart, in your pancreas, uh, as your visceral fat around the inner organs. And it's just making so much metabolic disturbance. Um, and uh, the, the main metabolic disturbance is called insulin resistance, where the, the tissues and the cells are not responsive to insulin. Now, what's insulin? Insulin um, is a hormone that's secreted after a meal, and it's important to push glucose inside the cells. So it's like a gentleman opening the door for glucose to come in into the cells and make all the all the magic make all the cooking in, inside the cells and if if the cells are not responding to insulin that's like a jammed door lock insulin cannot open the door all of a sudden something's broken the cells you know are not responding um, so that's a jam door lock for insulin. Insulin cannot open the door. And glucose cannot come into the cells. And so the cells are starving for energy. 
while there's too much sugar in your blood. And that's uh, what's called pre-diabetes or diabetes, where, when you have a high blood sugar level. Um, and now, what's the way out? Many people think, well, uh, you know, if my blood sugar is too high, I just cannot eat sugar, I cannot eat carbohydrates, and that will take care of the problem. Well, it will help manage your blood sugar, but it will not really uh, address the underlying issue. The underlying issue is not having too much sugar in your body, uh, but it's having too much fat stored inside the liver and in the muscle. Uh, and that's why um, the cells are not responding to insulin and glucose cannot come into the cells. Uh, so uh, the solution is getting rid of the extra fat that's stored inside the liver and muscle cells. And so that's another important aspect that we were um, studying uh, and exploring in the study. Uh, is a low-fat vegan diet able to reduce the amount of fat that's stored inside the liver and muscle? Uh, and the answer is yes, and uh, like even more than we thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the muscle fat content was decreased by about 10%, and the liver fat content was reduced by 34% in only wow. 16 weeks. Wow. And I need to mention that there's no specific medication for fatty liver disease. Uh, so uh, diet is one of the most important uh, recommendations for fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not every diet is, is able to bring down the liver fat content, but a low-fat vegan diet is, and it seems to be super effective. How many people uh, would you say have fatty liver disease? I would imagine that number is relatively high given the obesity rate. Uh, yeah, we don't. The estimate is somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the population, mm -hmm. the adult population. And and what exactly are the risks that are associated with fatty liver disease? So, what you know, what kind of damage can that do to the body? Uh, so it disturbs your metabolism and you are at a higher risk of developing metabolic syndrome and diabetes. Uh, but it also increases your cardiovascular risk. You're at higher risk of dying from a heart attack than someone who doesn't have a fatty liver disease. Uh, so it's really important to take care of your liver and uh, keep your liver um, clean without the extra fat. And I want to talk a little bit more about diabetes, because one of the things that interests me about this study and the benefits of a plant-based diet overall um, are, are the effect of healthy carbohydrates. And typical wisdom in this country when it comes to diabetes uh, is to remove as many carbs as possible from the diet. But in this particular study that you conducted, uh, it was very, the, the control group that was eating the plant-based diet ate an abundance, carbs upon carb upon carb. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is a fascinating question. Let me uh, start with fiber and the importance of fiber for diabetes. While for general population, uh, fiber intake somewhere between 30 and 35 grams per day reduces the risk of uh, dying from any cause by 15%. In people with diabetes, uh, the risk is cut, uh, cut down by almost a half. 
by just eating enough fiber. And the risk of dying from cardiovascular disease is reduced by 40%. So for zero. Uh, so people with diabetes get much more benefit from eating fiber than the general population. It's much more important for people with diabetes to consume enough fiber. And now, uh, in what package do we consume fiber? It comes together with carbohydrates, but complex carbohydrates, right? Um, so uh, from just the, the numbers and from the importance of eating fiber, it's clear that the foods that contain a lot of fiber, uh, you know, and that contain a lot of complex carbohydrates are beneficial for people with type 2 diabetes. Right. Uh, it's been shown that even fruit may improve the glycemic control in people with diabetes. So no need to be uh, afraid of eating fruit. Yeah, that's a fascinating one. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken about members of my family who have diabetes and are scared to death of eating fruit because their doctor says you can't even eat so much as a banana. And when I try to explain to them what it is we discuss here on the show, they kind of look at me like I have two heads. Um, but you know what? It's okay. The, the message will get there. Uh, eventually. I want to talk about the breakdown of this diet. You know, I just said that it was super carb heavy. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the study right now. I've got the numbers pulled up in front of me. Uh, the intervention uh, diet here, 75% of the energy came from carbohydrates. Yeah. Three out of every, like three quarters of the energy. I mean, th that's that's insane. So you're talking about complex carbs here. So we're talking about vegetables, grains, legumes, fruits, as you said, but absolutely, you know, well, nothing from animal products or, or anything that has added fat. How much fat uh, was the um, intervention diet? How many? Uh, how much fat were the people eating the, uh, the plant-based diet getting it in? Uh, so our recommendation for people uh, was 20 to 30 grams per day. Okay. Uh, that's especially for packaged foods. You know, if you buy a package in the frozen section, for example, you need to check the label. And uh, um, the portion limit is two to three grams per, of fat per, per portion and 20 to 30 grams of fat per day, mm. which is achievable. Um, but you cannot pour a lot of olive oil over your salad. No You're kidding. not able to deep fry or anything, you know, but you use an air fryer, for example, you, you bake your tofu, um, you know, the, the meals can be still tasty without the extra fat that you don't need. And and we should point out that the people who participated in this study, uh, the majority of them had never even really dabbled so much with a plant-based diet, mm -hmm. right? This was a completely new concept for them. Absolutely. Uh, being on a, on a vegan diet was an exclusion criterion. So the plant-based diet was completely new to these, to these people. And I think that the question that we got a lot when you were on the exam room live was, well, what is it exactly that they were eating? You know, we just named the staples of a whole food plant-based diet, but do, did they submit food journals to you? To you? Did, they, uh, did you give them a specific menu? How did that work? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question as well. Uh, so they submitted a baseline diet record, uh, three days, two, week, two weekdays and one weekend day. Uh, we were able to analyze what they were eating uh, at baseline. 
then we started with uh, the first class with the general recommendations, what the study will be about. We will ask you to go completely vegan. That means no animal products, no meat, no cheese, no dairy, no eggs. And your power plate will consist of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes. And you will be limiting your fat intake to 20 to 30 grams per day. And we concluded the first class with let's uh, do uh, the first week like a tryout period where you will be just trying out new recipes, experimenting uh, with what can I have for breakfast that will meet these criteria. Um, do I prefer having a bowl of oatmeal with fruit? Or would I like a savory breakfast, a scrambled tofu with a toast? Um, what kinds of lunches can I prepare? If I go to work, can I have a bean burrito and a salad? Uh, can I prepare um, lentil soup for lunch? Um, what kind of lunches will work for me? Uh, and then, of course, what kind of dinners do I need to cook for the whole family? I need the meals to be tasty. Uh, can I find some tasty vegan recipes? So we gave them plenty of recipes. And the first week was trying out what, what would work for each one of them. And they were also meeting with a dietitian. Uh, and uh, were able to troubleshoot, you know, maybe they didn't have enough ideas for, for the family. Uh, so the dietitian was able to tweak uh, their, their usual recipes, uh, was able to help them, you know, uh, we were not trying to completely uh, change the preferences. We were working with, with, the pe with what the people were eating and what the habits were. And so we were trying to uh, tweak as much as possible. Uh, and so the first week was like a trial period. And then after the first week, um, the participants really came back empowered. And they were like, this is easier than I thought. Like, you know, I can basically, you know, I can have my oatmeal without a problem. I just use almond milk with, you know, instead of low-fat milk. Uh, I tweak this recipe. That's pretty easy to make it vegan. <laughs> and if you use an air fryer, you know, you don't need to, you, need to, you don't need to fry uh, and deep fry stuff. Uh, so it was actually easier than they thought. Uh, uh, the low-fat part was a bit more challenging than the vegan part. I would especially, imagine. Especially when you eat out, you know, when you come to a restaurant, you don't have so much control over how much oil they, they will be using in their recipes. Right, right. So uh, that's a bit more challenging. You're in charge if you prepare your own meals uh, right. so most people were cooking and preparing their own meals most of the time and how did uh, the amount of fat in in the vegan group compare to the control group uh, their diet didn't change very much at all and i think i saw a figure recently that said that the average american eats somewhere in the ballpark of 75 grams of fat per day i'm not sure how accurate that is so don't quote me on that um but that's uh something that i believe i saw in a study recently um but uh, I, the the control group do you have an estimate as to how many grams of fat they were taking in per day uh 
Yeah, the baseline was pretty similar for both groups. It was around 75 grams per day. There so, you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 75 grams. Um, interesting. Uh, what's also interesting is the fiber intake. The Let's talk about fiber. This is this is the uh, this is the official nutrient of the exam room. I feel like we need a fiber whistle every time somebody brings it up. So let's talk about the importance of fiber and compare the amount that was eaten uh, by the two groups. So the baseline fiber intake was somewhere around uh, twenty four grams per day, and the intervention group increased their fiber intake to about thirty five grams per day. So that's not like a huge increase, you know? Of course, that's average. So some people were consuming 50 grams of fiber per day. Um, but still, the average increase is not dramatic. So it's not that, that you would have to uh, eat a huge amount of food. Um, you know, by switching over to a plant-based diet, when you're substituting all the animal products with plant foods that contain fiber, uh, you know, your fiber intake will just go up um, by itself without any special effort. And how much can you attribute the increased after meal calorie burn to fiber specifically? Oh, that's a great question. We're not able to tease out, you know, all the components of a low fat vegan diet. Uh, to a certain part, it's the reduction in, in fat intake. To, to a degree, it's also the increase in fiber intake. It's just the whole package, and we're not able to say how much we can attribute to fiber. Uh, but previous, previous research has shown that when you eat a processed sandwich, like a white bread sandwich, um, compared with whole grain sandwich, your your post-meal calorie burn will be higher with the whole wheat sandwich. Uh, so, you know, the fiber plays some, some, some role for sure. We just don't know how much it was playing a role in, in this particular study. Yeah, I would imagine that would be kind of difficult to, uh, to tease out. Um, that, that would be something interesting to look at maybe in the future. I, I don't know. Uh, you, you know how to do this science. I'm, I'm just a guy asking questions. Um, let's uh, talk about the exercise component here, because I think that a lot of people also were like, well, you know, the control group, uh, they probably weren't exercising either, but the vegan group, they were probably running for miles every day. Mm -hmm. So was uh, exercise put on the vegan group's menu as well, or um, did they stay the same in that department as well? Uh, so we asked all the participants to uh, stay on their usual exercise routine in both groups. And there was no difference between the groups. Uh, so exercise, you know, didn't, didn't play any role. In, Interesting. Interesting. In um, just out of curiosity, the control group, uh, did they kind of, I guess automatically or psychosomatically lower their calories as well, just because they knew this was a weight loss study. And so they probably just without even thinking about it, maybe took in a few, you know, a few fewer calories. Yeah, that's a great point. Once you start tracking what you're eating, once you have the feeling that you're in a study, uh, that's exactly what happened. They cut down on their on their calories a little bit. Uh, their average caloric intake decreased by 135 
calories per day, which is not a whole lot. Uh, it's just a little bit, but it's no. definitely a, a part of being in a study. <laughs> but again, over time, I mean, that would add up. And and this is aside from the study. You know, it's amazing what happens when you start to actually keep that food journal and and keep a running tab of what it is that you're eating. Because I think a lot of us, may, we just don't even think think about it until we see it right in front of our face and we crunch those numbers and you're like, oh my God, no wonder I can't fit into that old pair of jeans. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I honestly had no idea how much I was eating um, when I was overweight until I had lost all of the weight. And then that's when I was able to figure out, man, like I was eating 10,000 calories a day. Now that's certainly on the extreme, but you know, I would think that a person who's eating 30 or, or 3000 calories a day, wouldn't be able to tell much of a difference in their mind compared to somebody who's on that 2000 calorie a day diet. This is a great point, Chuck. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, some people are consuming huge amount of calories, but still feel hungry and still feel the cravings uh, for, for, for certain foods. In this study, we were not putting any uh, energy limits. People were eating as much as they wanted. And the fiber fills you up. Uh, so what happened that people cut down on their calories automatically without, you know, having to restrict themselves. They were not even like feeling like being restricted in, in any way. Uh, and yet they were consuming less calories than at baseline. Another benefit of uh, of the plant-based diet, you know, there were, you, you don't have to count calories on that. Uh, you know, the, the people whom I've spoken with who have lost weight with the plant-based diet and, and now are keeping it off long-term, that's the biggest upside to it. You know, they've done all of these different fad diets, whether it's Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers, where it's all about points or literally counting calories, every single calorie that comes in. You don't have to do that here. And that makes it so much easier. And you don't have to go hungry. Because when you start counting and you have brownies that are available, but the brownie's going to take up like three quarters of your points for the entire day, well, you're still going to eat that brownie. You're just going to figure out a way to game that system and and still <laughs> stay within you within your point realm. But you're going to be hungry because of it. But if if that stuff isn't even on the table, it just makes life so much easier. Um, yeah. If you're hungry, you will be miserable, you know, and you will not be able to sustain the diet in the long term. So being satiated uh, is a big part of the success. And also making the meals tasty. You know, you can't, you're not able to stick to a diet long term if you're just suffering through the diet. So you just need to set up yourself uh, for success. Absolutely. Uh, you know, keep a lot of healthy options that will keep you satiated, um, figure out what the tasty recipes will be for you. Uh, there's plen plenty of recipes to choose from. So just experiment a bit and keep the best and keep experimenting. That's it. Uh, let's talk about uh, the long term. I want to stick with that and actually go back to the after meal calorie burn. Um, was this a short term benefit? So it's like 14% during this 16 week study. But if somebody stays on this plant based diet, do they keep that 14% bonus uh, as long as they're on that diet? Or does it start to wane over time? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we don't know the exact answer. But what we do know is from our previous studies, even one year after the study was over, 
uh, people were still able to remain some of the weight benefits you know their their weight was still down from from their baseline before they started the study uh, so some of the benefits are sustained even over longer term uh, and uh, and the increased after after meal calorie burn might be one of the possible explanations. We don't know exactly how fast it it will uh, come back to 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 or to the original baseline, or if ever it'll come uh, completely back if people uh, change their diet again. So stay tuned for that. Um, you study diabetes uh, more than anyone else that I know. Uh, you are truly an expert in that arena. Um, none of the 240 odd people who were in this study had diabetes. I believe even being pre-diabetic would disqualify you from the study here, correct? Yeah, we were not including people with diabetes. A few people had pre-diabetes. Okay. Uh, uh, and... Uh, as you're pointing out, all of the mechanisms that we're describing in the study are involved in uh, diabetes um, uh, development and also diabetes progression. So the next exciting study would be to uh, explore this, these mechanisms in people with type 2 diabetes. And what did you see uh, with the group who was pre-diabetic, who had those slightly elevated levels? Were they all able to return into that normal range? What kind of benefit did they get compared to the people who weren't in that pre-diabetic range? Yeah, their their glycemic control uh, was uh, was improved. Uh, I'm looking at the numbers here. Uh, even for the overall, for the group, it was like borderline statistically significant. There was an improvement or a trend toward an improvement in glycemic control in the whole group. So even, even for people who are completely healthy, you know, you can still improve. <laughs> and, um, and, and just to hammer home the point, we did not see that same improvement among the control diet group, correct? Correct. No change in the in the control group whatsoever in glycemic control. All right. Well, as we kind of wrap this up, Dr. Kaliova, let's talk about um, some of the specific success stories that came out of this. I know uh, one gentleman in particular just, I mean, had a radical transformation, a former athlete uh, who is now running again because he got, I will say he got his life back. Absolutely. Yeah, he was a former athlete, um, but he gained so much weight over over the last decade and so um, he his blood sugar was a bit higher he was uh, in the pre-diabetes range uh, his blood pressure was high his blood lipids were high and more than anything he just felt tired all the time he was lacking energy and his doctor told him, well, you know, if you continue like this, you will develop diabetes and I will need to put you on, on all these meds and eventually insulin. Uh, unless you change something, you know, this is how it's going to be. And that was a wake up call for him. And he found out about the study. He signed up. And after 16 weeks, he lost about 30 pounds uh, he decided to stick to the vegan diet for good. 
because his blood pressure dropped, you know, all his labs improved dramatically. He was now completely uh, normal for the, for the glycemic control and for the blood lipids. And uh, he started training for a marathon. So a few months after the study, he sent us a few pictures, you know, of him running a marathon. And he was just like so excited about what he was able to do with his life instead of just dragging himself around, you know, tired with lacking, lacking energy and motivation. All of a sudden, uh, you know, he was able to do so much in his life. And he was also an inspiration for his family. His, his wife was super supportive and also uh, their kids were enjoying the vegan diet. So... Oh, I you love know, to hear that. I love other that. people from from their family were also benefiting from the vegan diet. Uh, yeah, I mean, he truly did get his life back. Um, it's just an amazing story. Um, really quickly, I did crunch some numbers with that 14% after meal calorie burn. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to make sure that we had it just right, the effect over time. So we're talking about that 14% bump that equates to about 294 calories per week additionally. And over the course of a year, 15,288. 15,288. That is a, a week's worth and then some. So yeah, not half bad at all, Dr. Kaliova. Add a cold shower that will also increase your energy expenditure by 15%. You know, there it is. You don't, to, you don't need to worry about Christmas. <laughs> oh, hold on. You can't just throw that out there and not explain that in case somebody missed that episode. It turns out that if you take a cold shower, you you burn calories. Like it, you burn calories and boost your metabolism. What, what Refresh my memory. What is this study again? Exactly. Uh, a cold shower also increases your energy expenditure um, and uh, it activates your brown fat and activates your thermogenesis in a different way than food. Uh, but it has additive effects <laughs> to your diet. But of course, you know, uh, you don't need to worry about Christmas if you're plant based, if you're eating a low fat vegan diet, right? No, 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 no. Between the plant-based diet and taking a cold shower in December, I think you're going to be ringing in the new year happy and healthy. Um, you, you you, also did a study. I mean, this must have been, well, we spoke about a study a, a couple of years ago on the show where I think you said that a cold shower actually boosts the immune system as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Huh. All right. So plants and cold showers, that is the key to long living right there. A long, healthy life. How about that? All right. <laughs> Dr. Kaliova, uh, is there anything else that uh, you think we should touch on about the study? Anything that we've missed? Uh, Yeah, I just want to say, you know, there's a lot of hope for anyone who's been aging, whose metabolism has been slowing down. Uh, It's never too late to start. (laughs) Our participants were in their 50s and 60s. Uh, so this is a real life study. This we were not working with only the young and the active. You know, we were not cherry picking. These were uh, people who needed the intervention and were benefiting from it. So I'd like to encourage all of you to, you know, spread the word among those who who might benefit from it also, and because it's never too late to start. I love to hear that. It is never too late. 
and and sometimes we do feel hopeless. We get up there in, in, in years, and uh, I know, again, just speaking from experience, talking to members of my own family and and extended friends, you know, they, they get up there, you know, 50s, 60s, even 70s. I've had conversations with people who are in their 70s about losing weight, and they're just like, my metabolism now is just so slow no matter what I do. And so now I'm super excited to be able to be like, hey, check out this study all right let's get that metabolism going in the right direction again and age is but a number so dr kaliova thank you so very much for your time and conducting this study and bringing hope into the world at a time when we need it so desperately so you are truly doing amazing work and it is a privilege to have you here on the exam room my pleasure thank you so much Chuck. I really wish that this information was out there when I was still overweight. Maybe it would have made a difference. Maybe I wouldn't have yo-yo dieted so many times. The results here are simply amazing. And the thing about metabolism is that yes, it does slow as you heard as we grow older. But something can be done about that. Heck, I was claiming slow metabolism when I was in my teens and my 20s as an excuse for why I was overweight. It wasn't the drive-through. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't that 10,000 calories a day that I was eating. Nope, it was the slow metabolism and genetics. <laughs> Man, these results, I really wish they were around 12 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. Just an amazing study. The other big takeaway for me, maybe it was the same for you, the other big takeaway was that a little bit does add up. We talked about how many calories it equates to over time, that after meal calorie burn. It's like free calorie burn. It shouldn't be the after meal calorie burn, it should be free calorie burn. And it comes just by eating that plant-based diet. And as a bonus, if you're trying to lose weight, you're always going to be full. You're never gonna be hungry. And how many of those fad diets can you really say that about? Not many. And when Dr. Kaliova was talking there, I kind of thought back to a diagram that I will often use when I'm speaking to people about weight loss. And it's a pretty cool diagram that we developed here at the Physicians Committee. And it's, it's a chart that has a number of stomachs. And each stomach is filled with 500 calories worth of food, but all of the foods are different. So on one end, you see what 500 calories of oil looks like and how empty the stomach still is. Doesn't barely fill it up at all. You get a little bit more full when it comes to cheese, a little bit more full when it comes to meat. But then, when you're talking about fruits and vegetables and whole grains, you're talking about a stomach that isn't just full. I mean, it is full beyond capacity. 500 calories really fills you up, goes a long way when you're eating plant-based foods. So not only are you full, not only are you taking in less fat, but you're also getting that after meal calorie burn too. So fewer calories, less fat, and you're burning more calories. Score a 
big one for the plant-based diet. And it's a bigger hope still for people who think that they can't lose weight because they're too old. You're never too old to get healthy. Never, ever, ever too old to get healthy. Dr. Barnard has said many times on this show when someone asks, how old is too old to go vegan? The answer to that question is never. Let me underscore that, never. We've heard remarkable turnaround stories of people who were in their 90s who adopt a plant-based diet, and some of them able to get off all of their medication and go from being completely sedentary to taking miles-long walks every day. Just incredible. Just incredible. And if you want to check out this study in full, I've included a link to it in the episode notes. You can also head over to pcrm.org. And please also share it with your loved ones and the nutrition nuts in your life. Or casually drop it into conversation. You know, weight loss is always a buzzy topic. Who doesn't like talking about weight loss? And this one is cool because it's not a gimmick diet. It's not a fad diet. This is actually a healthy idea for losing weight. And not just losing it, but keeping it off. It's not a short-term solution. It's a lifestyle. And man, what a bonus you get from that after-meal calorie burn. Bonus points if you share this with your doctor. That's really who needs to hear this. They have the ability to share it with their patients then, and maybe even change their lives goes back to tackling that obesity epidemic. Excellent stuff from Dr. Kaliova and her team. And there's going to be a lot more coming out from this study, by the way. Dr. Barnard has already extrapolated a lot of this information. He, he played an intricate role in this study, and he's already extrapolated some information that looks at eating for your blood type. Does that even matter? Took a good hard look at that. Interesting results there. Got an opportunity to speak with him on the exam room live recently to dive into those results. And we'll share them here on the exam room podcast in the very near future. Love this stuff. I absolutely love this stuff. All right, speaking of healthier diets and loving things, let's talk more about good news as we head to the exam room news desk and get a check on health headlines. And we start with big news out of New York where plant-based options are now the law of the land in hospitals. Vegan options must be made available to patients receiving care there. That is according to a law that went into effect on December 6th. In New York, more than one and a half million people have heart disease and diabetes. And those chronic illnesses account for 40% of all deaths in that state. So this is huge. And New York now joins California as just the second state to enact such a measure. And it's one that, believe it or not, is also heavily favored by patients, not just in New York, but here in the Washington, D.C. area, 83% of hospital patients in the nation's capital say they favor banning processed meat 
because the World Health Organization has classified it as a carcinogen. So the hospital patients, armed with the knowledge of that, they say, hey, let's get it off the menu. I want to eat healthier while I'm here trying to get well. Also, there's a new study that finds that patients with severe ulcerative colitis could benefit from adopting a plant-based diet. Researchers in Japan found a 76% reduction for the condition when the diet was combined with traditional medication. More promising, there were no adverse effects reported among those who adopted the plant-based diet. None that could be attributed to the food anyway. The authors of the study, those doctors, say that dietary changes should be included in the first line of treatment for the disease. Good stuff. If you haven't already done so, please also subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever shows are available. And when you do, please hit that five-star rating as well and leave a nice review because every new subscription, every five-star review helps get this information in front of those who need it the most. It helps us climb those podcast rankings and the higher we climb in the ratings, the easier it becomes for people to find us. So please help us by subscribing and making the world a healthier place. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Hana Kaliova for joining us and sharing this amazing study here on the show. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.